Blog Talk Radio. Okay, I do believe we're on the air. Unmanned aircraft systems current events is experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. Technical difficulties. Please stand by. Please stand by.
blogtalkradio.com is experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. blogtalkradio.com Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we appear to be having some technical difficulties on the blog talk radio end of things. I understand that uh, I am able to transmit, so I will start the show. This particular show is for the current events that uh, affect UAS and UAS operators and manufacturers. And one of the most obvious things that has been in the news these days is the privacy concerns that are being raised by just about every media outlet that is out there at the time. Uh, the uh, Drudge Report and, of course, the Huffington Post, which has been following all of this very diligently, uh, has Gene, posted I, some... Hello, am I Patrick, audible? are you in now? You are audible. Yeah, you, you wouldn't believe this one. So I can't get the uh, the host thing to work, so I had to call in as a guest myself. <laughs> so we're 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 going now after all those technical difficulties. What was it? Almost uh, eight minutes. Anyway, all right. So go ahead. Uh, you were you were you were going on about the uh, the opening of the show, and I think you were doing pretty good. So go ahead, sir. Well, it's, uh, as we stated, we're trying to cover as many of the privacy issues that are coming out in the press, and uh, quite honestly, some of them have been a bit on the hysterical side, especially for those who have actually used unmanned aircraft in a uh, law enforcement situation. And, of course, there there is certainly the possibility of, of uh, abuse of any technology, as we've seen in the past, and uh the 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 thing that uh, is really becoming disconcerting at this point is the fact that it uh, can be an issue that is politicized 
And I think you uh, had some more information on that, didn't you, Patrick? Yeah, well, as I alluded to last week uh, during our our uh, driverless car talk, the uh, you know the Obama administration had asked the FAA to slow down. That's why we had that on uh, a report from a credible source uh, because this privacy thing was blowing up into such an issue. But I you know I think all that media coverage, like you're talking about. Um, has got people kind of worked up. And if you ask around, you know, uh, people have some valid concerns. Uh, you'll see in the news lately, and I posted about this over at the uh, LinkedIn, you know, uh, the kill lists coming from the administration. I have a couple of quotes from some stories out there, too. Uh, a couple of these stories. One of them is, um, you know, the administration's very success at killing terrorism suspects has been shadowed by a suspicion that Mr. Obama has avoided the complications of detention by deciding, in effect, to take no prisoners alive. You also, uh, this this is kind of the, the thought process here, what people are seeing. And it l- raises a lot of legal and ethical questions about, uh, as they're calling them, extrajudicial killings of individuals. You know, th- the reason that I get in here... Uh, or get into this is and I think that this is where this apprehension comes from with people. And you have another quote here from Virginia Governor Bob McDonald about, uh, and I quote, police drones flying over Virginia would be great and the right thing to do for the same reasons they are so effective in, the, in a battlefield environment. And, and while some of that may be true, I think that's where the apprehension lies for the general public um, is the um, I, I guess they're they're being room for abuse, and uh, I think rightfully so. I, I think that we need to move away from that that battlefield talk. Not that the battlefield and UAS out on the battlefield don't have their uses; they're very effective. I just think that we need to, as a community, focus more on um, small business guys like you, Gene, who have you know. Uh, built a business and done stuff like uh, SAR, you know, finding people, children, whatever, lost people. What, what do you think about that? It, it certainly can. There, there's no doubt that uh, the the militarization of just about anything uh, seems to just smack negative with, uh, with the civilian public these days. And uh, we, we certainly don't want to allow, I would think we wouldn't want to allow uh, a weaponized UA to be out on the uh, flying over the continental United States, I wouldn't think. Yeah, I, I, you know, I would, uh, I'd agree with that. And I just, <clears throat> I really think it's a mistake. I mean, I think people, you know, accept this technology, and, uh, and you know, when you go out there and you ask people about it, and that's, I, you know, I'm kind of rushing things because uh, I wanted to talk about that kind of at the close of the show as a listener homework, but I, I think I will, I'll bring that up now. You know, I, I would say people that aren't part of this community probably already have their own feelings or know people that have feelings about it, but people inside the community, I would suggest as, as homework that you go, and ask people outside of the unmanned aircraft system circle and ask them about these other uses, ag, SAR, entertainment, even border patrol, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, other, other, let's say, non-1984 applications and, and see what their um, comments are about this technology. Most, most people I talk to are very receptive. They say, oh, you know, you want to use it to do some farming work, that sounds great. Forest firefighting sounds great. All of that sounds great, except 
when you start talking about this misconception that police departments will be, you know, unleashing uh, flights of drones and they'll be all over, you know, eyeballing people in the privacy of their own homes, in the window, out in the backyard, yada, yada. Uh, have, you, have you gotten some feedback from people you know, Gene? Absolutely. We've been out in the field, as you know, doing quite a bit of flying for SAR work. And uh, even we've had some uh, input from people for utilities as well that if you're out there and you're flying essentially an aircraft that is not a surveillance or an ISR aircraft, they're all for it, Uh, especially uh, the SAR work that we do, the search and rescue, search and recovery. We have always been accepted with open arms by the, the general public in that effort and encouraged, and there's been a, a great deal of interest, and and even the, the to the point of you know, hey, can I get a copy of my my house? You know, the picture of my house. I'd love to see it from the air. That sort of situation. We run into that all the time. Uh, obviously, yeah. the precision farming thing it would be ideal, and it should be one of the things that should be considered first. Because when you're flying over a section of corn or several sections of corn, there's not too many privacy issues that you're going to have to deal with out there on that. Right. Well, not only that. I mean, you know, even in my own experience when I was doing um, back in the day, I haven't really uh, done any in quite some time. I think one of the last times I flew was for the demo for the uh, FAA at Quantico, Virginia, but uh, back when I was doing this, and I, I did it mainly uh, real estate, construction projects, um, agriculture, I, I had this part of uh, as augmenting my business as, a, as a, I was a uh, remodel contractor. And uh, I would have to say everyone that I met out there doing this uh, as a business thought it was really cool, wanted to see the uh, UAV, um, no problems. People wanted more information about it, and nobody had any issues about privacy. They thought it was great, thought the pictures were great, right. thought the price points were great, um, and nothing but praise. You know. And to be honest, uh, I think you've seen the Cracker Barrel, haven't you, Gene? Of course I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the infamous Cracker Barrel. Uh, it's kind of funny because I always used to get people, they'd be like, oh, you know, I want to see the UAV, you know. And uh, the Cracker Barrel is actually a, a slow stick, was the main weapon in my arsenal. And I think that's a $29 airframe. And I would always, I'd be like, well, the UAV is out being, you know, cal- calibrated. It's a precision <laughs> instrument because I didn't want to show them the Cracker Barrel. Uh, for me, it was a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek deal with the um you know, UAV photography when the FAA uh, started calling Cracker Barrel a UAV. But, uh, I, you know, like I said, as part of the listener homework, ask around, talk to people, and you're going you're gonna to find that most people are very accepting of this technology, except when you put it into the, the hands of people that could possibly abuse it. And uh, there's a lot of that in the news, not only privacy with this technology, but, uh, you know, I think I sent you a list yesterday, the, the catchwords, Gene, of uh, what's going to put you on the DHS watch list. Have you used any of those words? Uh, I think I've used just about every one of them at least once. <laughs> I, know, I was telling that buddy of mine that lives in uh, Yuma, or Yuma stand as I call it, 
that you know that's one of the works that's on the list and he's like ah, my facebook page is full of uh you know references to humor and i'm on the list now which i think it's kind of uh it's kind of comical but anyway uh, you know, those are some of the issues with, with privacy, and I, I don't want to say that it's much ado about nothing because I, I do think that uh, people have some uh, legitimate concerns, but I, I think that um, maybe it's just too much too fast, and, and we as a community need to look at that and understand that, and uh, well, when, when we go out there and talk about that with people, we we need to remind them that that's not really what we want to do. No, that that's true, and what what... I think is a real problem and, a, and maybe a bigger issue as far as getting UA widely accepted is the fact that most of the public wants to put that privacy issue on the FAA. And in their defense, it's really not their concern what flies in the airspace. I mean, as far as the sensor is concerned, it is a concern what flies in the airspace as far as an airframe, the size, weight, and where it goes. But what that airframe carries I don't think that that onus should be put on the FAA. They have enough on their plate as it is just trying to get the UA into the air. Forget the payload. Right. Well, and that's not really their purview. I mean, you know, um, and, and the other thing that's kind of, I don't think that, you know, and I'm not saying that the, the public are a bunch of uh, Luddites or whatever, but I, I don't, you know, I don't think that people are really educated about what types of sensors are already being employed by uh, law enforcement, uh, be it either local or federal. But I would suggest that... Traffic light cameras are a prime example. Uh, the, the tollway cameras, when you drive through a tollway, your image is taken many times as you drive through a tollway. Well, even what's on, um, you know, even what's on the police helicopters or uh, aircraft now, you've got EOIR sensors, and I would suggest that people to go out there and do a search on either Google or YouTube and uh, search for the FLIR, F-L-I-R, uh, Star Sapphire, or the NX-15. And uh, both of those sizzle reels are on there. I know it's definitely on YouTube. And if you get on there and you, you, you uh, search for that and you watch the video and you'll see the type of capabilities that these EOIR sensors have that um, the police and, and law enforcement are using, and let me just tell you that when you see that, you, it should open your eyes to what's possible. And then you want to come back and you want to start thinking about these small UAS at uh, the under the, the two kilos, which was built, you know, I want to get into that later, but built right around the uh, AeroVironment Raven. But besides that, the type of sensors that can be carried by the small UAS do not have anywhere near the capabilities that these uh, larger EOIR sensors, HD sensors have. And so, you know, go check that out. Get educated about that and see what uh, what types of sensors are out there and what's already being employed. And then uh, maybe, you know, you can come back and kind of uh, do some searches for the types of videos that are or video or, or stills that are available from small UAS, and the, the capabilities are just a lot less. Wouldn't you agree with that, Gene? Uh, absolutely. When you have uh, a FLIR that has a 1,000-foot range that gives you an idea, and that's the size that a small UA can carry. Obviously, the, the, the Sapphire, the, the FLIRs, the larger FLIRs and the turrets can have, you know, 
further lateral range. But the small guys are going to be fairly close in. They're going to have a sensitivity that is not as great as the really high dollar ones. And there's really not much you can see with a low resolution FLIR other than a hot spot. Right. Well, and in those other sensors, the other EOIR sensors that I was talking about, I mean, you can see out uh, 20 kilometers. I mean, not that you can see what type of vehicle was out there, um, but you can you can see dust and whatever out there. And, that, and those are the types of capabilities people talk about that, you know, from a helicopter being able to see, um, you know, do facial recognition, read license plates. Again, if you see the sizzle reel, you'll get a better understanding of, of uh, what types of technology are out there currently for law enforcement and uh, federal government. And I don't want to run that one into the ground, but I think that that's a good idea that uh, people get out there and see what's available. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and I think that we've, we've kind of uh, covered the privacy thing. I don't know. Was there anything else you wanted to add? But I, I think we covered that real estate. What do you think? Well, I think that there's, plenty more that can be said about it, but I think it's going to be more public opinion as it comes out, and we're going to have to respond to it, but uh, uh, for later issues. Well, you know, the other thing, I, you know, I'm kind of wondering, too, if it's if it's time for, uh, you know, us to do some more grassroots political, you know, I don't want to say a pack or something, but some more grassroots lobbying where we could go out there and, and, you know, talk to both politicians and people and explain uh, more of the benefits. It seems just like in the in the media all you hear about is, um, you know, uh, military use of these things. And I think it's time to really get out there and tell people the other uses, you know, and I, I'm sure you're a proponent of that. Absolutely. The positive uses, I think, would far outweigh the, the negative that could be brought in from a, a military type application, which I think is probably where everybody wants to go, but the media kind of keeps the public focused on the military side of it. And you're right, we need to start promoting the positive uses, the, the search and rescue, the precision farming, the, the uh, land and green space development, those sorts of things are the positives that can be derived from using UA at a very economical cost versus manned aircraft, quite simply. Right. And, but, I mean, you know, obviously it's a little bit more, um, it's a little sexier, you know, that, that you have this big system that can be flown via satellite a world away and you can be rifling, uh, you know, terrorists or al-Qaeda people, you know, no one's safe anymore. And, you know, I guess, that you know, that capability or whatever, to me, I mean, it's great uh, supporting the warfighter. They definitely... Um, you know, they have their place. Don't get me wrong. I'm not anti-military uh, use. I just, I, I think that the military system services, uh, serve a uh, purpose, and they're out there doing the job that they should be doing, which is keeping the warfighter safe, assisting uh, the warfighter. And, and that's all great. And, I mean, I even, you know, myself, I work on military systems. That's not where I really wanted to be focused and, you know, before anybody gets really down on me, the stuff I work on is future warfare. I'm not really mired down in the the old stuff. Uh, but uh, as far as the ISR or uh, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance is concerned, I am uh, I'm 100% behind the technology. 
it, it works. It's uh, very effective, and it keeps our guys safe, and that's great. I just I think it should stay in let's say the the military toolkit, military systems, and I think that the the groups here, the advocacy groups, the um, the groups that promote this should should definitely just be focusing more on domestic production, domestic uses, the people that are already here. I want I want to move away from that you know that uh, swords to plowshares or the battlefield talk. Because, um, I, you know, I, I think people have missed the boat. You know, people were doing this before the war started. You know, Cad McGear is a great example. You know, he invented uh, Scan Eagle, and the whole idea with Scan Eagle was you were going to go find tuna. You know, um, as he had put it, he had to make this Faustian deal with Boeing. They came along and said, hey, you know, we're willing to, um, you know, invest money in this project or whatever else. He wanted to find tuna. Obviously, they wanted to find Taliban or, right. you know, whatever the case may be. So, you know, let's go to that or let's go to, you know, even the Galaxy Blimps guys, you know, doing um, HD broadcast for ESPN, you know, of uh, drag races and uh, they wanted to do golf tournaments and all the rest of this stuff. Or you had guys like you that have been doing this, you know, doing your own thing with SAR and, and being a manufacturer. So there are a lot of the old guard that was out there already using this technology, employing this technology for commercial purposes. And I think, to be honest, the, the whole deal got hijacked by the military. Um, and, well, and the military contractors. Well, the contractors and vendors, I mean, you know, you got to look at, I, mean, I was talking to somebody else about this yesterday, and, and the military economy for all small unmanned, or just even unmanned aircraft in general, people have said, oh, you know, uh, you know, the military is the only source of funding. And, you know, I'll have to say, yeah, that's, that's kind of true. That's how I got into doing uh, work with the military. But that economy is a very closed circuit. You probably noticed this. They don't let a lot yeah. of people in. Uh, you got to be part of the good old boy network. Soon as you get in, you know, uh, it's very nice to have DARPA fund all of your products, all of your research, all of your paperwork. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, give me $10 million and I'll design you up a nice aircraft. Do you think you could design something nice for $10 million, Gene? Five, ten mil? If I stretched it a little bit, I might be able to get that done. Yeah, you, you might be able to come up with something. So it is very nice uh, if you can get someone to do that for you. And that, and that kind of leads into the next segment. And and that is kind of, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to beat the, the UAS ARC-2 drum a little bit. Um, you know, and the reason that I beat this drum is not because I got nothing else to do, but I just really feel that even for some of the reasons that I just mentioned, that it's unfair. The process itself is unfair and has been, you know, for lack of a better word, hijacked by that by these same vendors. Uh, you know, we've we've mounted a campaign, the RCAP, the Remote Control Aerial Photography um, Association is now in a campaign to get representation for small business and academia on this arc. And while some people say, well, academia is represented by New Mexico State University, I, mean, I, I have to disagree with that. They do not have an academic program. They do not have a degree program for unmanned aircraft systems. They are doing research, and that's great. 
And I think that we need to open widen this out. And, you know, going back to that, that military, um, let's say, economy, you know, let's just talk about a few of the, the small business folks or, or the representation on that arc. And uh, the vendors include Northrop Grumman, General Atomics has got two people, Institute Boeing, uh, Aerovironment, AAI, Lockheed Martin, Honeywell, Rockwell Collins, Raytheon, and GE. And, it, you know, to me, that, that and I'm being a little sarcastic, but it reads like the uh, Small Business Association's uh, roster of, you know, potential members. Uh, do, do you... Well, are you hearing any names in there that, that like, you know, conjure up small business to you? Is that... Uh, no, most of the ones that you see and that uh, that are listed on the the ARC 2.0 is they're all large contractors. They're all very large businesses that uh, have quite a bit of uh, budget to be able to to work on the ARC and to influence the the upcoming regulation that uh, will meet their their product needs. Well, that's exactly how it is. And, I mean, if anybody read the article in the New Yorker where I was quoted um, saying that basically the, the vendors are trying to craft the regulation around their products, uh, Nick Palmgardner, I think, did a pretty good job there, especially not really knowing the subject matter, went to uh, Aerovironment and asked them flat out if that was the case, and they, they denied it. But all I have to say is, uh, you know, <clears throat> two kilos for the uh, first bin of small UAS. While I was on the ARC, um, I like to tell this story, but while I was on the ARC, of course, every, most of the people were on the East Coast, and this was the first ARC, the SUAS ARC, where we're still waiting for the, uh, the, the, the SFAR to come out and the regulations, we're still waiting on that. Um, um, so I'm on here on the West Coast. I get on the call, and I'm a little late because I like to drink my coffee first. Before I start talking, so I'm out here, and they come on and they go, "Well, we've decided that uh, the first spin is going to be two kilos." And I was like, two kilos? That's kind of strange." I go, "I thought, you know, we never really adopted the um, metric system, so where did we come up with two kilos?" And I started scratching my head, and I'm like, "Hmm, you know, let's do the quick uh, conversion there. Two kilos works out to be 4.4 pounds." Hmm started thinking, and so I asked the question, and there was about 25 or 30 people on this call, and I said, okay, what current vendor product weighs right under 4.4 pounds? Anyone want to help me out with that? Because I'm having a hard time remembering what it is. And, and of course, the, the phone is silent. No one is saying anything. And so, of course, I blurred out. I'm like, okay, well, that would be the Raven. And I, and, I, and at the time, you know, Ted Wersbanowski was the co-chair of that arc. Um, and, and not that Ted's a bad guy. He's a company guy. He's been, he's been at this effort. He's the chairman of the ASTM F-38 commission, uh, or I'm sorry, committee. He's also uh, on Unite. I mean, the, the guy's everywhere um, that, uh, where these regulations are being crafted. My I, my problem with it is is I don't even believe that there's a, a you know a thinly veiled um, effort going on here. I just think they're rushing in, they're doing what they want, and the rest of us are going to take a back seat. And I want to throw out some more uh, red meat 
here to the listeners about what's going on with F-38. And have you been uh, Did you follow any of those stories, Gene? I know I've, I've talked to you about it, but did you follow any of that stuff I wrote for SUAS News? Yes, yes. Go ahead. I know exactly where you're going. Well, you know, I had some issues with uh, F-38 and uh, the R-Kappa. We, we just couldn't put up with that nonsense anymore, and we had a split. And uh, some of the issues that were there, some of the bigger issues were, uh, again, uh, had to deal with, the vendors taking over or hijacking the, the process. And they'll all disagree with me, but, you know, when I came out of the ARC, yes, the STM uh, paid for my travel to go to the meeting. And when I was at the meeting and we were talking about manuals and everything else, I said, okay, if you're going to do manuals, you have to have some sort of um, uniform boilerplate type of application or outline that small business people could fill out. And that way, the FAA is seeing something that they recognize, seeing something that makes sense to them. And, and that would kind of level the playing field for small business. And everyone agreed, oh, God, that's a great idea. Yeah, you're right on target. We need to do that. Well, of course, I went away and I had worked on that Navy project for a year. And uh, the Navy project or, you know, was a rapid deployment thing and rapid deployment and working on these regs didn't work out and I kind of had to give up on it. So when I rejoined the effort and I saw that the standards said that, you know, they could follow the mill standard 3001 as far as what the manuals are concerned, I said, hey, wait a minute, this isn't what we talked about. I don't see small business people being able to craft military-style uh, manuals. I just came off a big project. We had three, four, five people working on manuals. The manuals got to the point where it was uh, you know, $10,000 to, to print out a few copies of these things. That's how crazy it got. So I said, there's no way that small business is going to be able to comply with this realistically. It's just going to cost them way too much. I mean, I, I don't even know where you're going to put the tech writing team, you know, in the garage. There's there's no room next to the quality assurance guys. And they laughed and whatever right. else. And told, you know, you're overreacting and yada, yada. And, and now, I, you know, I had a uh, quite lively discussion with uh, Jeff Goldfinger, who was the uh, chairman of F-38 at the time. And I called BS on that whole deal and had to get out. I, I just couldn't deal with that anymore. Um, I, 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 as far as I know, they haven't put published any standards, um, you know, and, and when, you know, let's, let's go back down memory lane, Gene. When, when was the first, uh, first ASTM meeting we went to? Was that? Oh, that was in Reno, Nevada. Yeah. And wasn't that like 2005? I think it was 2006, if memory serves me correctly, but, uh, we had, uh, full representation from our Kappa. And yeah, there were quite I mean, a few folks that uh, were there that are no longer on that uh, that committee. No, well, you, that's a good point. A lot of people have um, retired. A lot of people in the FAA are no longer there. Um, there's a whole new group of people. I, I remember reading the paperwork there, and they, they had talked uh, about a few years, I think they were talking about. We'd have it all wrapped up by... 2008 or 2009, and even at that point, I was like, you know, that's more of a commitment that than uh, I was ready for. But you know, here we are, 2012. We still have nothing. Um, it, it's very disappointing. 
And I don't want to just beat up on the ASTM, RTCA, uh, the SC203. You know, that I left that group behind uh, way before SUAS News came along or the RCAPA reporter or, or any other real uh, major publication where we could put the word out. But I will say I was involved with the uh, SC203, which is RTCA, and uh, when they installed the representative from the Airline Pilots Association as the committee chair for small unmanned aircraft, that's, I go, you know, you people, that's it. This, how, is that, how is that fair? This guy knows nothing about the technology, and he's, he's running the committee. That's going to affect me. Nobody even told me. Nobody asked me. Nobody told me. Nobody said anything about it. They just installed him. At that point, I was like, okay, it's a little crazy. You know, the other part that I thought was totally nuts was when Margaret Jenny went out there and testified to Congress about next gen and what was important, and there wasn't even a mention of unmanned aircraft systems. I said, that, that's it right there. I had to pull the, uh, the ripcord, jump out. Uh, it, it didn't make any sense to me. You know, people have been working on this for years, all this effort, all these standards, all these committees, um, and I don't think people understand what's really involved with that, but there's these... Uh, you know, these conference calls that just go on for years. You know, you want to jam a pencil in your eye. I mean, you know, after hours and hours on the phone and nothing gets done and rewrites and people taking your stuff and, and um, rewriting it, you know, without even asking you. That was another thing at, F, at ASTM that kind of, uh, let's say, caused a little irritation with me is that people would take the standards go ahead and rewrite them without even asking, throw them back out there and say, oh, you know, it's all fixed. Or if you would you'd vote against uh, their ballot measures, and basically I used a boilerplate that said, you know, uh, it's going to be very difficult for small business to comply. It will cause an undue economic burden. Uh, these people don't have overhead funds and, and millions of dollars from military contracts to invest in their companies. And they were just summarily dismissed, you know, oh, Patrick's being cranky again. Um, but to me, it's not cranky. I mean, I've been advocating for this uh, technology and its use for years. And, you know, the, the common thread is, is that I'm not really selling anything. The only thing that I'm really doing is advocating uh, for small business to have a foothold in this industry in the future. And that's all that I'm selling. And, 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 you know, I, I personally, I think that gives me a lot of uh, leeway to bellyache. And uh, anybody that was on the arc with me would probably agree that, I mean, I bellyache for 10 months straight. And I, and I still believe <laughs> this small business guy got screwed on that deal. So it's really too bad. Well, from the small business standpoint, I would have to agree with you completely. And you know that there are that leads us on to our next issue too that we were going to discuss about uh, the potential for a list to be issued by the Department of Homeland Security of approved vendors for unmanned aircraft. This is yeah. something that uh, has been a real interesting topic for me for some time because they've had a list that they were putting together that was called the Saver List. And it was supposed to act as an information guide for law enforcement government agencies to be able to pick and choose the appropriate piece of equipment. But the selection process to get on that particular list is defined nowhere that I can find. 
have you seen anything about how to 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 get on this list other than call somebody up and know someone? Uh, not that I know of. I, I you know I had uh, put out a couple of emails yesterday to some folks over at FAA. Nobody really knew what was going on with that. Um, so I'm I'm a little bit in the dark with that. I've I've heard about it, and I know you were talking about it. But uh, I'm not really sure how you get on that list. I have a feeling I, I, I know who will be on that list. And, you know, it's probably that same, the usual suspects who are on the ARC. Um, and also, you know, part of most of these uh, these standards groups and whatever else. There is, you know, you have to think that there's there is big money um, involved or, let's say, on the table. Unfortunately, again, the two problems that I have with that is one is, is uh, public perception of military or militarized systems being used in uh, a CONUS here in the United States, and the other one is is the skewed business model. You know, I was watching a video that Ted McGear on a presentation he gave, and you know, he was talking about how much it costs to fly a scan eagle. It costs the taxpayer about two thousand dollars an hour. That is not a, a uh, business model that's going to work for people. I just don't see that. I mean, do you have off the top of your head, and it's a ballpark, Gene, do you, do you have a, what, what it costs you to operate hourly one of, your, one of your ships? Yeah, if you actually broke it down into labor and overhead and, and uh, materials and, and uh, the whole ROI and everything on, a, on an aircraft, you're, you're probably looking at a couple of hundred dollars an hour maybe. Okay, that, uh, that's a good ballpark. I mean, this, that, that's a swag, but, uh, you know, you're looking at a couple of hundred dollars per hour uh, to be able to maintain upkeep, pay salaries, uh, provide insurance under Obamacare, and that sort of thing. Well, and I think that's a little bit more realistic. You know, people will say, and I know Ted, and I, I've asked him if he wanted to be a guest on the podcast, but... Um, I think that that's going to be a little bit more realistic and a little bit more in line with applying the 172 or, you know, uh, cheaper cheaper systems uh, that are manned. I, I still think that there's more flexibility with unmanned aircraft if the regulation is there. Um, but those are the price points. You know, the same, you know, I don't see – I keep hearing these at these shows. I keep hearing about uh, the business case for Golden Hawk – where you can make a business case. I, I hear it's upwards of, you know, it's over $30,000 an hour to fly the Golden Hawk, and I just don't see any business cases there. Same with Predator. Predator's, uh, you know, 6000 five 6000 plus. I don't see a commercial business case there. And, and, you know, one other thing I wanted to talk about, the ARC, that really kind of uh, chapped my hide is uh, the lighter-than-air option. And you can fly that same type of sensor or an HD quality, broadcast quality sensor on a 60-foot airship, okay, as you can a Predator or a Golden Hawk. And I, I think now we know why the lighter-than-air section of um, at the arc of the small UAS section, which I think was going to be Section 4, got spiked. You know, why would you want to buy a cheap system that can haul that camera when, you know, you can go out and buy either uh, the Predator class or the uh, the Golden Hawk. I mean, you know, it just doesn't add up from their point of view. I don't really well, know certainly. anything about that. 
that list. We'll have to look more into it. We're coming down. We've passed the two-minute warning. I, I apologize to everyone with our technical difficulties in the beginning. Boy, that was – we had all kinds of feedback and everything else. Um, you know, I would. I wanted to do a little PSA or a little – give a shout-out to um, support our soldiers – uh, UK, which is a great group that uh, supports British soldiers and their families, deployed people. Um, maybe you should get on the internet and check them out. You can Google that, support our soldiers. And I also want to say, you know, that uh, this podcast series is still looking for um, advertisers or sponsors. So if your business or product needs uh, to get out there, this is a perfect vehicle for that. And I'm going to give you a few seconds. Dean, you have anything you want to say in closing? Well, no, it's just that we need to keep the positive use of UAs going, and uh, let's uh, quit dwelling on the negative and accentuate the positive. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, you know, again, uh, it has a great use overseas, and we should be using it over there, but let's let's focus on the domestic, what this technology can do to help the general public. And with that, we'll close. We'll see you next week. Um, sorry again for the technical difficulties. Goodbye, y'all.